That was sufficiently really depressing. Maybe it's because my mic wasn't on. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, because I'm not sure I could have gone on after that first attempt. It's great to, uh, to be together. Who here likes fresh bread? I'm not just talking about bread from the store. You know, I, there are those amongst us who like Wonder Bread for whatever reason, I don't understand, but I'm not talking about Wonder Bread. I'm talking about out of the oven, you know, put butter on it and it disappears, soaks into the bread so you can put more butter on top of that butter and it soaks in and then you put it in your mouth and it just disappears kind of bread. How many like that kind of bread? Yes. If you don't like that kind of bread, there's something wrong with you. I can't diagnose you. I don't know the specifics, but uh, you just need to get with the program because it's good stuff. Um, I like fresh bread, not just the physical fresh bread, um, but I love fresh spiritual bread. That kind of stuff that you hear, um, you either read in scripture or you hear a sermon or something, someone shares something with you over coffee that God is doing in their life and it's, f- it's fresh in the sense that it didn't happen 15 years ago, it's happening now, God's teaching them now. It might be in a very difficult season of life, it might be in a very great season of life, but nonetheless, it's fresh, it's right out of the oven, this is what I'm learning right now. That's what I long for and crave for. And this morning, as we open up um, scripture, we're actually gonna be speaking about bread. Um, and my prayer is that it would be fresh bread to us. But the topic is, is actual bread. We're continuing in this series uh, of Jesus' statements, his I am statements. He said various things, I am. And this morning, we're looking at I am the bread of life. And so we are looking for fresh bread, that melt in your mouth, spiritual food, as we talk about Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. Let's take a moment to pray. Indeed, God, that's what we want. That's what we need. We need some fresh bread from you. These good folks don't need uh, my tired old opinion. And together, we don't need to hear something that we've heard a million times before and it not penetrate deeply in different ways, in more powerful ways into the depths of our soul. We need fresh bread, God. We don't want the spiritual equivalent of wonder bread. We need for you to give us fresh bread. And so as we talk about you as the bread of life, we pray that you would give us exactly what our souls need this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna read um, for you from John chapter six. If you have a Bible, either a paper version or electronic version, I'd encourage you to take it out. If you need a Bible, there's some on the back table back there. I'm sure if you waved your hand nicely, one of the ushers would run one to you. Wouldn't, wouldn't you ushers? You would love to do that. Um, so feel free to wave your hand and they'll bring you a Bible. Uh, it's not gonna be on the screen, I'm just gonna read it. And I have to confess, there's a little bit of false advertising in your bulletin this morning, because um, I'm gonna read actually more verses than are listed. That's, not, um, that, that's nobody's fault but mine, because I decided to add to it. Um, 
I'm going to be reading a lengthier passage. There's danger in that, that our minds wander. Um, but I just I felt, as I was looking over my notes this morning, I thought, no, I want to read more. I, want, I, I just feel like I need to read it. So I was going to say, bear with me, but that's not really a good way to come into Scripture. <laughs> bear with me. Um, but but let's, um, let's focus our attention on God's Word as we read. John chapter 6, I'm going to be... Begin reading at verse 5 and read through verse 15, and then I'm going to skip to verse 25 and read a longer chunk. I just won't tell you how much. Let's hear God's word this morning. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Moving down to verse 25. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that, had, that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, this is God's word to us this morning. Thanks be to God. So uh, if you've been with us, you'll know that we've been going through some of the I am statements of, that Jesus made, very powerful statements um, where he declared, I am many things. This morning, I am the bread of life. These are metaphors, right? How many of you remember high school English? Two people, excellent. Um, just, to, just for the rest of you, what would Brett do in this situation? <laughs> he would give a definition. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase is applied to an object to which it is not literally applicable. That's a metaphor. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's attributing a word or a phrase um, to himself, which is not literally, like Jesus wasn't a loaf of bread walking around with you know, eyes. It's a metaphor. And Jesus used these metaphors, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, that kind of thing. He used the metaphors to do two things. To, to reveal something about his character and his nature, 
to tell people something about himself, and secondly, to call his followers to follow him in particular ways. So he used these metaphors to to reveal something about um, his character and to call his followers to follow in particular ways. This morning is no exception with the metaphor of bread. Jesus ties the metaphor, this metaphor of being bread, uh, to something visual, to something um, going on around his listeners to drive home his metaphor. And so he sets up this metaphor of being the bread of life in a miracle that I read for you just a few moments ago, the feeding of the 5,000. Here's the the outline for this morning so you can kind of get a sense of where we're going. It's really simple. I'm going to talk about bread for the body, then I'm going to talk about bread for the heart. First of all, bread for the body. This miracle, this feeding of the 5,000, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only one. It takes place in the Golan Heights. If you've ever been to Israel, um, uh, you'll know that the Golan Heights are on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's... it's, at a raised elevation. Um, I've been there. Ironically enough, the best falafel that I've ever had in the history of mankind I had on the Golan Heights, it was ridiculous. I had two because they were so good. Um, Fresh bread, literally. The story is uh, feeding the 5,000, but we lived in a day and age where... um, where it was a male-dominated society, so it was the men who were basically counted, so there was about 5,000 men, um, which shows that when you add women and children, we're talking a large contingent of people. Need to understand, I'm sure you've heard sermons on the feeding of the 5,000, so I'm not gonna presume that you never have, but, but we need to understand the main purpose of, purposes of this miracle and, and really all of Jesus' miracles. You see, we think, we often conclude when we read the the stories of Jesus' miracles, this one included, that the main purpose of them was for Jesus to display his power, for people to go, whoa, which was the case. I mean, it did display Jesus' power. Um, But I think more accurately that the main purpose for Jesus performing his miracles wasn't to highlight his power, but it was to highlight his priorities, his priorities. The main priority for Jesus when he walked on the earth, I would submit to you this morning, was really simple. Jesus' main priority in in coming to earth was to relieve suffering, to deal with suffering. That's the main priority of Jesus while he was on the earth. All that Jesus did, I would say to you this morning, all that Jesus did, all that he taught, all that he spent his time on was an assault on decay and disease and death. And ultimately, Jesus dealt with the human condition of suffering on the cross. Both physical suffering and ultimately with our spiritual suffering where we're separated um, from God by our sin and Jesus came And his purpose, his main priority was to say, I'm going to deal with the human condition of suffering, both external physical suffering and internal soul spiritual suffering. And he did it ultimately through the cross. 
Here's something else about miracles. Many see Jesus' miracles as the suspension of the natural order. Like this is the way it's supposed to function and Jesus walks in and, and there's water, water's supposed to be natural and Jesus turns it into wine. Or, or there's, um, there's a storm that's going on, it's natural and Jesus calms the storm. It's, it's a suspension of the natural order. Um, or paralyzed, someone who's paralyzed from birth and Jesus enables them to walk. And so it's, we, we see the miracles of Jesus as a suspending of the natural order. And um, there's a German theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann who actually says the miracles of Jesus actually do the opposite. They were intended to restore the natural order. The natural order, the way God intended things to be. If you look back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, there was, there was fullness and there was wholeness to the human experience. There was, there was perfection in, in, in humanity's relationship to God. And, and Moltmann says that, that Jesus walked the earth and, and one of the purposes of his miracles was, was to restore the order that God intended in the first place. And so the Messiah came to confront the suffering that breaks us and to restore wholeness. And, and that's the priority of Jesus. And so the miracles put this priority front and center And so Jesus' declaration, let's not forget what we're talking about this morning, Jesus' declaration that I am the bread of life comes within the context of this miracle, this feeding of the 5,000. And this miracle performed by Jesus reveals his priorities to relieve suffering. In the Mark 6 account that I just read for you, or excuse me, in the Mark 6 account, that, that's Mark's account of this, it, it says that Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them because they were kind of like sheep without a shepherd wandering all over the place. And then the, the miracle story is told. You see, don't miss it, please. Jesus sees need. He looks around at the people. He looks around uh, at, at, at humanity that he's rubbing shoulders with, and he sees need. And at this point in time, their need was food. At different points, as he was interacting with different people in his life, uh, in his ministry, Jesus encountered various needs. Sometimes it was um, someone who was lying paralyzed before him. Sometimes it was someone who was demon-possessed. But in this case, he's standing before a bunch of people, and their need was food. They needed bread for the body. I read an interesting account of this uh, miracle story and the person was saying that that we may have the wrong impression of this. We might think that Jesus was saying, you know, well, gee, it's past dinner time. These people are probably a little hungry. It's gonna take them a while to get home. By the time they get home, they're gonna be really, really hungry. So we should give them a snack, as it were, to, just to tide them over till they can get home. And, and the person that was writing this article was saying that it's interesting that it says the boy had barley. The, the loaves were barley loaves. That was traditionally the, the lowest form of, the, the cheapest form of bread. That was, what, that was what the really poor people scrounged up. And, and it's quite possible that there were a lot of people in that, that 5,000 plus that weren't just a little, gee, I'm a little, a little starved. I'm, you know, I usually eat at five and it's 5.30 kind of hunger. They could have gone days without food. And Jesus saw that their need was bread for the body. They were suffering and he wanted to meet their needs. 
and he has compassion on them. And so Jesus performs the miracle, the boy with the lunch, the five loaves, and the two fish, and you know the story that I read. And we need to stop there before we jump into the rest of Jesus' analogy where he says, I'm the bread of life. We need to land in this miracle, and as followers of Jesus, I just want it to remind us that we are to have the priority of Jesus. The priority of Jesus was to relieve suffering. And as followers of Jesus, I want to remind myself and I want to remind you this morning that if we are to be followers of Jesus, our priority should be his priority. Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah, if he was the promised Messiah. Hey, he sends his disciples and says, go to Jesus and just clarify whether Jesus is the Messiah. And so John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus and they ask, are you the Messiah? And in Matthew 11, Jesus responds and he says to these disciples, go back to John the Baptist and report to him what I have been doing. And he gives them a summary of what he's been doing. The blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are being cured, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised, and the good news is being preached to the poor in spirit. That was Jesus' response. My friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell, this good news that we talk about. The good news is being preached and practiced. That's what, that's what the good news for Jesus was. He practiced it and he preached it. In fact, it could be argued that Jesus practiced the good news before he preached it. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care, right? So the saying goes. But I think Jesus got that. You see, before he starts teaching about um, I am the bread of life, before he had bread for their hearts, which we're gonna get to in a moment, he first gave them bread for their bodies. He first stepped in and took the steps as the Messiah to exercise his priority, which was to relieve suffering. And so I wanna remind myself this morning, and I wanna remind all of us, that if you want to follow Jesus, if I want to follow Jesus, then his priority should be my priority. And so I want us to really wrestle this morning with um, where do you see suffering around you? Didn't plan it uh, this, this way. Um, God did. I didn't plan it this way. But, but it is actually, I was sitting back there um, as, we were, as we were praying for our adopted family as we prepare to, um, to adopt them from Syria and that, that process that's going to go forward in the next number of months. And I thought to myself, it's, it's, it's a perfect picture, God. We should be moved by suffering. We should be moved when we see and hear the stories. And it's wonderful to have it actual people up here. It's not, as Derwin said, it's not just some faceless issue. But to have people here to say, there's suffering going on. And what are the people of God supposed to do? And it's exciting to be a part of a church that says, we are followers of Jesus, and we are going to put our money where our mouth is, and we're gonna step up, and we're gonna give sacrificially to give this family an opportunity to experience a new life here and to relieve their suffering. It's easy to get overwhelmed 
with the gravity of this scenario and, and the scenario in other countries in the line of work I do, I, even just this week I was dealing, knowing particular cases of young women who have been trafficked overseas and are in desperate, desperate circumstances. And it's easy to get overwhelmed, but God says, you deal with the people in front of you and you have compassion on them and you, your priority should be my priority to relieve suffering Where do you see suffering around you? It might, it might be uh, something like the Syrian refugees. It, it might be just people that you rub shoulders with in your daily life. Family members, coworkers, neighbors, and they are suffering. And the suffering has different faces. And God calls us to step in and to do what we can do as his hands and feet to relieve suffering, to give them bread for the body, whatever that bread is. His priority should be ours. What is God calling you to do about the suffering that you see around you? What is the bread for the body that God is calling for you to give in his name to those who need it? That's the first question this morning. Bread for the body, that's where Jesus began. Bread for the heart is the second part. Bread for the heart. Jesus provides bread for their bodies. They sit down, 5,000 plus people, generally poor, and he gives them full bellies. The downside to really good fresh bread, if you've ever been to the Olive Garden, and like me, just can't help yourself, and the free breadsticks just keep coming, and you just keep eating them. The downside to that is that it really makes you full, right? Like you're, that's what the people felt like. They had their fill, many of whom perhaps had been walking for days, and they were nourished. No wonder, when they saw what Jesus had done, no wonder it says in verse 14 and 15, they tried to make Jesus king by force. (laughs) No wonder. Jesus for prime minister. Like, if he can do that, whoa, and Jesus will have nothing to do with it. He He just withdraws from the crowds. And in, in John's gospel, I didn't read it for you, but right there, um, there's another miracle where Jesus calms the storm as he crosses across the Sea of Galilee, he and his disciples. Um, but, but, but we'll leave that, and we pick it up on the other side of the sea um, where Jesus and his disciples are heading for Capernaum, which is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 25, they track Jesus down there, and it's pretty clear that they want more of this belly-filling king. Like, they just want, whoa, that was really cool. Um, they want more of that. But, but Jesus, as often as Jesus does, he changes the conversation. And I love that about, like, G- the, the people want to talk about something, but Jesus knows, no, 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 you're still on part A. I really want you to get to part B, because that's really, really, bread for the heart, that's really what I want to get you. You're still stuck up here, and Jesus just changes the conversation. He was a conversation changer. He went from, from the immediate things to the deeper things of life. Incidentally, I'm challenged by that, because that's what God calls us to, to change the conversations we're having. So it's not just about the part A of life. How's the weather? How's the family? How's the work? But Jesus calls us to be conversation changers, to say, get to the deeper things. He changes the conversation, and he, he says to them, I, I tell you the truth, verse 26, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. 
You want more of that. But I'm here to tell you, don't work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see how he changes the conversation? This engages the crowd on a completely different topic. He moves them from focusing on bread for their body to bread for their heart. So don't miss it. As important as it was for Jesus to relieve suffering in their bodies, it was his priority, it was even more important, it was even a bigger priority to relieve the suffering in their hearts. Jesus needed the crowd to understand that their deepest physical needs were not their deepest needs. Jesus acknowledges human hunger and the need for food, but he reminds them that their internal heart hunger is actually more profound than their external body, belly hunger. And in verse 27, he he calls them to refocus away from the temporal, from food that spoils, to food that endures forever. And this is where it really gets interesting because some in the crowd bring up the story of Moses and, and the story of Moses back in Exodus chapter 16 where God's people are wandering around in the wilderness and, and, um, and Moses uh, is there and, and they're given manna from heaven. Moses tells them, gives them the instructions and they wake up and there's, there's manna from heaven. There's these um, kind of like wafer-like substances um, that had a sweet taste of honey. Manna from heaven providing their, for their hunger while they wandered in the desert. And they bring up this story from, from Moses back in Exodus 16 and the bread raining down from heaven. And the people that Jesus is speaking to in John chapter six, they would, they would know this story. They would be familiar with this story of Moses and the manna in the desert. And they're sitting there going, whoa, here's this Jesus prophet. And, and, and he, wow, like he is just like Moses, they're thinking. He's just, he, he's like Moses 2.0. He's like Moses, like, wow, he is bringing us bread from heaven. Like 5,000 plus of us are there and, and boom, all this multitude, like this bread is multiplied. This is like Moses come back. That's what they're thinking. But Jesus changes their conversation. He refers back to that whole thing in Exodus 16 and verse 32 and 33, he says to them, You know, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father, get this, my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Again, he's he's changing the conversation. It's as if Jesus is saying, you know, I know you know the story, but, but Moses didn't really give you bread from heaven. Yeah, yeah, that, that manna for your ancestors way back when, it, it fed the body, but it didn't feed their hearts. It ultimately spoiled. But Jesus is standing in front of them and saying, but, but now my father is here to give you true bread from heaven, lasting bread, bread that will not spoil. And this bread will give life not only to your body, but it'll give life to your heart, it will give life to the world. And the people in verse 34, listen to this, and they still haven't got it, and they go, well, that sounds even better than the, than the manna in the desert from our ancestors. I mean, you're talking a whole different thing here, Jesus. Um, yes, please, uh, give us this bread, they say in verse 34. And that's when Jesus steps up, and he gives the analogy. And right there he says, you want this bread? You're looking at him. I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, it occurs to me that the people here, don't miss this, the people here, were, they were equating Jesus with Moses. Both these people gave us bread. They filled our bellies. But Jesus, in this stunning metaphor, where he wants to reveal something critical about his character and his identity, don't forget the reason for the metaphor, Jesus doesn't equate himself with Moses. Get this, Jesus equates himself with the bread. I am the bread. He doesn't say, I have the bread, or I can get you the bread, or I can take you to the bread. He simply says, no, no, I am the bread. I am that which will satisfy your deepest hunger, the hunger of your heart. I am the bread. All other is empty calories compared to me, Jesus says. That's why uh, Jesus said in various places, come to me, all you who are uh, weary and heavy laden. Come to me. Don't come to my teaching. He he didn't say that. Uh, He said, come to me. That's how you'll get your real hunger met. Without me, you may feel like you're getting your fill, but, but all else are empty calories that will starve you eternally. So Jesus said, come to me because I am the bread. I will give you real life. Later in chapter six, as I read, that's why I wanted to keep reading because it's, it's, a, it's a confusing, challenging passage, but Jesus gets really descriptive and he tells these would-be followers, I'm the bread, so, um, so following me means eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Now, if there was ever a passage in the Bible that would make people who aren't familiar with the Bible really scared of the Bible, that would be the passage. Okay, you Christians are just weird talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, like, ah, what's Jesus getting at there? I mean, that certainly is a conversation changer. What's he getting at? What's his main point? Remember, Jesus uses metaphors to reveal something about his character, which he's just done. I am the bread. But he also uses it to call his followers to follow in a particular way. And so here he's trying to drive home a truth to us. And here's the truth. Following Jesus means that we daily feed on Jesus. What does that mean? Well, I can't fully answer that question because I'm kind of learning it. (laughs) Um, This continues to be sort of fresh bread for me. Um, But but what I'm learning more and more as as I follow Jesus is that feeding on Jesus means an inner delight, a daily, moment by moment, inner delight in who he is. It's a daily walking and talking with Jesus, a a daily delighting in who he is. And it's also a a daily willingness, it's it's a posture of willingness in me daily to submit to him. Through his spirit, through his word, I'm learning what it means to, 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 to feed on the bread of life. The reality for many of us as followers of Jesus is that we're still trying to find daily bread for our hearts outside of Jesus, often in very spiritual efforts. And here's Jesus saying, no, no, I am the bread of life. Come to me 
don't come to, even to religious activities. Come to me. Be hungry for me. Feed on me, Jesus says. I'm still learning what that means. I'm still learning that I'm observing about myself that, that I'm, I'm praying prayers like this. God, would you give me peace? God, would you give me joy? God, would you give me patience with my kids? Because some days, ah! And it's occurring to me, Graham, you're praying the wrong prayers. Those aren't bad prayers. God, give me peace. God, give me joy. God, give me patience. But it's occurring to me that my prayer should be, God, would you give me you? Give me more and more of Jesus. Give me more and more of his spirit alive and at work in me. Because if I have more of Jesus, if I'm feeding on him, then his spirit, it says, will overflow into my life and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience will be there. I don't need to pray for patience. I need to pray for Jesus. St. Augustine said this very simple phrase, Christ is the bread, awaiting hunger. My friends, we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper here uh, about once a month. And we, th we need to be reminded that it is true when we gather together here and there's bread and there's juice up at the front uh, and we come and we, we, we eat and drink together, it is designed to be a remembering. It's designed to be a celebrating of what Jesus has done for us. But I believe, friends, that it's to be more than that. When we come and eat and drink together, that's designed to be a symbol. Not, ju not just a remembering and a celebrating, but it's designed to be a symbol. We come up once a month and we say, I don't wanna just do this on this Sunday, I wanna do this on every Sunday. And I, wanna just, I don't wanna just do it on every Sunday, I wanna do it every day of the week. I wanna feed on you, Jesus. I want to eat your flesh and drink your blood, not in some weird, wacky way, but as a symbolic way. I want more of you, Jesus. I don't want more religious activity. I need more bread for my heart, and you are the bread. Jesus was calling his followers to something deeper when he said, I am the bread of life step away from trying to find life in anything and everything else, including mindless religious activity. And Jesus says, ask for more of me. Christ is the bread awaiting hunger. And so my prayer in continually or increasingly is becoming, God, would you increase my hunger for you, Jesus? More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. It's a hard teaching. The passage finishes with a lot of the disciples walking. And Jesus says to the 12, are you going to walk away too? And Simon Peter says, where else are we going to go? It's a hard teaching, but you have the words of eternal life. This is the only place where we're hearing hard words, but it's life-giving words. So we know you, that you are the Holy One of God. We're not going anywhere. Bread of life, we want more of you. I'm going to invite the team forward.
We're gonna close uh, with a song we sang earlier, but the chorus is, you are everything we need. Feed us, Lord. Feed us, Lord. Feed us, Lord. You're everything we need. I sang that earlier in the service and I thought to myself, I'm capturing about this much depth of the meaning of those words. Lord, would you give me a deeper meaning? You are everything I need. Feed me, Lord. I want to feed on you more of you, Jesus. You're the bread. I'm hungry. My heart is hungry. So more of you, would you feed me? I want to close with those, with those words as we sing them as a prayer to God.